Well, good morning, Disciples Church. If you grab your Bibles with me this morning, turn to the letter of James. We'll be in chapter 5 today. I'm going to preach on verses 10 and 11. James you'll find towards the back of your Bible after Hebrews and before 1 Peter. Passionate here at Disciples Church to preach through the Holy Word of God and trust the Lord to teach and equip and guide us, sanctify us along the way. His Word is good and we're thankful for it. Uh, titling today's sermon, Steadfast in Suffering, uh, as we're about to see, it's, uh, it's a theme that James has spoken of already a, a number of times and wants to continue to drive home. Pray it's a blessing for you today as we dig in. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time together. We acknowledge your holy presence among us and working in and through us. We don't have to do something to convince you to be here. You are here. You are present. You are omnipresent, Lord. You are more present than we know how to describe. You are here among your people at work in and through us, and we thank you for this. I pray, Lord God, we do real business in this moment, the fact that the living God is present. The living God, that there be nothing routine, nothing, nothing boring, nothing mundane about this time. As we purposefully look to your written word, you've authored and ordained for us to know you and grow in you and serve you all the more. Lord, that we would cherish this time in our week to um, submit ourselves uh, to the authority of your word and the work you want to do in and through us. Ask for the Holy Spirit to move mightily in each of us. Pray for those who are still Um, Lord of their own lives, God, that you would bring saving faith, that you would bring conviction unto life transformation and new birth. Lord, we, uh, we humble ourselves before you. We're joyful to know you. And we pray these things in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In these opening words, James is building on what he's already said so far in his letter, but specifically what he's just said in the opening verses of chapter 5, which is that there is true suffering and persecution for Christians, for his blood-bought brothers and sisters And that they've experienced this under the hand of unjust rulers and wealthy people. James has also called them to patience in the midst of their struggle, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Likely you too have experienced real suffering and hardship in your life, injustice. Likely you too have had to practice patience to get through tough days or even seasons of your life. In verse 10 and 11, James is going to remind his fellow Christian brothers and sisters who they are in Christ and how God has been at work in the faithful who have come before them. He's going to do this in order to embolden their faith to remain at work, to remind them to be steadfast in suffering. He's going to give them examples and reminders in the following text, which is why he says here, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, listen to the entire passage that we'll look at today with me, and let's see his aim in it. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets, take into mind the prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard, another way of him saying, be reminded of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen, his way of saying, be reminded of the purpose of the Lord. How the the Lord is compassionate and merciful. To those who have truly trusted Jesus as Lord, He's 
his redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ, he, he says, you know these truths in Christ. Do not let them out of your sight. One major tool for help for our faith to remain at work, even in the midst of great trial and suffering, even in long seasons of patience, is to consistently be reoriented to the truth of God's word. The gospel who God is and what he's done and what he's promised to be reminded of what he's already done again and again and again is a great help for us who struggle to walk by sight and knock by faith who get caught up like Peter who was walking on the water towards Jesus and then pulled his eyes off of Christ and got focused on the troubles, on the storm that was raging around him as he began to sink. We're prone to this as well. This is why preaching of the Word of God is so important. This is why your study of the Word of God is so important. Why you need to invite the local church into your life to walk with you and know you so they can consistently reorient you to Christ and his truths again and again and again. I'm excited to dig into this text with you today. Uh, May we be convicted. May we be refined as we listen to the examples and reminders the Lord has for us about steadfastness in suffering. Look at the verse again with me. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take them into mind. Remember them. Who are the prophets? And what did they do to be steadfast and practice patience in suffering? James doesn't mention which prophets he is specifically in mind here, but it's not hard to consider uh, the prophets who showed great steadfastness and patience in suffering. Maybe the biggest one that comes to mind, according to the Holy Word of God, is Jeremiah. Consider with me Jeremiah for a moment. He suffered greatly at both the hands of pagan kings and people and at the hands of his own people, uh, but remained faithful to deliver the message of God, as unpopular as it was in many times that he shared it. Uh, a brief just taste of what Jeremiah went through. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we read about plots being made against Jeremiah for speaking the word of God. Jeremiah 20 we read about Jeremiah being beaten and put, it, put into the stockades. In Jeremiah 26, we read people took hold of Jeremiah in an effort and desire to have him killed. In Jeremiah 32, we read they imprisoned Jeremiah for speaking in the name of the Lord. In Jeremiah 37, we read Jeremiah was beaten and imprisoned again. In Jeremiah 38, we read Jeremiah was thrown into a mud-filled cistern for speaking the word of God and not what the people wanted to hear. Daniel was torn from his home, prophet Daniel, thrown into the lion's den because of his faithfulness to God. Daniel 6, verse 1. Amos faced lies and scorn. We read in Amos 7, 10 through 13. Uh, the, the Faith Hall of Fame, as we like to refer to it, in Hebrews 11, recounts many of the faithful who came before us, many of the prophets, uh, faithful men and women who endured great persecution, suffering, and death for remaining steadfast in their faith to God, including Isaiah, great prophet Isaiah, who is said to have died a martyr's death by being sawed in two. What is 
most important, I think, to consider when thinking of the faithful who came before us is that they suffered largely due to the proclamation of their faith. That that was much of the cause of their suffering. And so if that faith was not real, if they didn't really trust in the Lord, then wisdom would just say, stop saying those things. So you stop getting beaten and imprisoned and killed. But true faith will not stop. Because it is what you believe. It is the truth. It is who you are. This is what James is emphasizing when he says, consider those prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Their faith was at work and they suffered for it. They did not retreat. retreat. They did not quiet. They did not slow down. They remained faithful to their work and patient for the timing of God. James chapter 5, verse 11 Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the promise of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Consider that first part with me. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. He says, behold. That's his way of saying, look closely. Look intently. Don't miss this point. Remember this truth that we have considered those who remain steadfast as blessed. This is a a potent statement. I pray in today's sermon you do not miss the meat of what is said here. I think this is why James says, Behold. To really dig into this, we need to remember or have a better understanding of what it is to be blessed. I think we very casually or very ignorantly throw that word around a lot. It is so much more than happiness in the midst of a tough life. Blessing means divine favor. God's favor upon us is true blessing. Blessing doesn't mean circumstantial benefit. But culturally, we often turn that word blessing into meaning just that. And a big example is when someone asks you, how are you doing? If you got a little church in you, many times you might say, hey, I'm blessed. But What do you mean when you say that? What did you just think about when you said that? I believe most people are saying, hey, I'm blessed because I I have a good circumstantial status right now in my life. What comes to mind when you consider your circumstances in these moments? Uh, Maybe that you're healthy. Maybe that you have money in the bank. Maybe your family is near you in that season, or on and on. And so you say, I'm blessed. But what about the guy who is not financially stout? He's financially low. What about the person whose family just died and is gone? What about the person who seems to constantly be struggling with physical ailment? Could could that person say, I'm blessed? Not if he's only counting blessing as physical good circumstances. But he could if he was counting blessing for what it really means which is that he belongs to Jesus and therefore has divine favor. In the Bible, it is clear that those who are in Christ are the possessors of every spiritual blessing. 
we are more blessed than we know what to do with. For the holy God has shown us favor like, like we could have never dreamed in that he's provided us salvation while we were actively his enemies deserving his righteous wrath. He put the wrath we deserved on his perfect holy son, Jesus Christ, in our place. In this he secured our eternal victory over sin and an eternal relationship with him. Church, in Christ, we are so blessed. And yet, be honest, when you think of how blessed you are, do you fall into that trap of often looking left and right and going, so how am I doing? Stuff, comfort, ease of life. Or do you think of Jesus? The cross should make us overwhelmed with gratitude every day, despite what we're going through. And we should never get used to this. It should just it should be a, a, an awesome reality upon us every day. I love it when a brother or sister in Christ says, I'm blessed, even though I know what they're going through is crazy hard. In that, I get to see that their eyes are on Jesus. They're either crazy liars, <laughs> or they're speaking of blessing in the right way, because their eyes are on Jesus. Their hope is in Jesus. Their joy is in Jesus. This is a point often made by true believers. Those who walk in faith, despite how hard it's going for them, in this they know the true favor of God, the true blessing of God. God's word goes so far to counteract the hardship of suffering with the favor of God in order to lift us up and remind us of just how good we have it. Matthew 5, 11-12 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I mean, let's do business with this. You're all over the evening news. Everyone, your neighbors, your family, the community, here's your name, false accusation, terrible things being said and they come to your door and stick the mic in your face and what do you say? I'm blessed. He goes on to say, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is doing the same thing. He's reminding his hearers just as James is doing Remember the prophets. Remember those who came before you. Remember their faithfulness, their steadfastness in suffering. And we call them blessed because who they are in God. The point is that those whose faith remained at work, those who were steadfast in faith, are those who have God's favor, His blessing. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. In James' opening comments to his letter, if you flip back a page, all of this amazing journey we're on is on three pages in your Bible. Uh, this is Sermon 27. Three pages. So you just got to go back one page. Look at chapter 1 with me. Verse 2 and 3. James in his opening remark, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then again, look at verse 12, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And now here in chapter 5, 
Again, labor to flip the page. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Steadfastness is another way of saying faithful. Our series title, Faith at Work. You're seeing these markers now in this letter. Another way you could say this is faith that remains steadfast. Remaining steadfast means full of faith in God. The steadfastness that is referred to here is a a perseverance of faith. So let me ask you personally, is your faith remaining at work even under the pressure of great trials? Are you known as someone who talks about faith in Jesus or shows that you truly live by faith in Jesus, especially when hard times come? James even goes so far to say we should be joyful in it. James 1, 2, and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let me remind you what I said in that sermon. June 10th, 2018, our second sermon in this room. I said trials will test your faith. But this is a good thing. Because faith that is tested is not faith that is still still or stagnant. No, no. It is a faith at work. It is faith that produces steadfastness. It is not faith that subsides or wanders off. But faith that stays. It finishes. It perseveres. What does it mean to have our faith tested? It means it is one thing to say you believe when it doesn't cost you anything. To say that you're committed to someone is one thing. But to have that commitment tested is the true measure of faith. Let me ask you, how has your faith been tested? And when it was, what did you do? See, many people who call themselves Christians do so because they grew up in church or had a few emotional experiences that they look back on whereby they loudly profess their faith in God. Maybe they walked an aisle. Maybe they repeated a prayer. And in doing so, professed faith in Jesus. But that's about the extent of their faith journey. When they were tested, truly tested, they walked away. When their commitment to serve God became too hard, they went back to serving themselves. But faith that is truly faith in God, faith that saves, it is not a momentary thing. It's not a box to be checked. It is a new birth. It is a commitment to die to yourself and live faithfully to God. It is a faith whereby you are all in. True faith stands in the face of great hardship and trials. It endures. True faith is a commitment to and a trust in God. And it's not just a part of your life. Too many have just added Jesus to their life and put Him next to the other commitments and priorities that they're passionate about. But Jesus is not someone who will be added to your priorities. He is not someone we negotiate with to share our deepest affections with. No, when we truly see and savor Him and commit ourselves to Him, when God gives us saving faith, a faith that comes face to faith with incredible obstacles and hardship and even suffering, we stand fast. 
We endure. We cling to him all the more. We don't exchange him for something else. This is the the driving message of this letter. James is trying to help his listeners see that true Christians have a joy that's grounded in God, not in their circumstances. In the midst of their trials that produces steadfastness, refines them. It's a faith that continues, a faith that is at work. It isn't pulled over and parked on the side of the road. It isn't put into a box to be dealt with later. It is the person who continues to trust God when they can't see anything in their circumstances. Steadfastness is remaining confident in God. It is being on a tiny boat and a 40-foot wall of water is storming towards you. But as your increased trial approaches, you know God is at work. You know God is on His throne. You trust Him to work perfectly in this horrific pending moment of hardship that races towards you that could mean your very end or the end of a loved one. You know that you are His and you know that He will not forsake you or waste one moment of your life, but He will work in and through you in all things according to His plan. This is faith. Romans 8.28 says it so well, and we know, we believe, we have faith that for those who God loved, I'm I'm sorry, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. Church, your faith is not meant to be a one-time exercise, but a lifetime way of living. It is meant to go to work at your salvation and never stop. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 Walk, live every day, every moment of every day. This is steadfastness. This is faith at work. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, stood the test is finishing language. James is about to say what happens when we finish in faith. So steadfast faith is faith that continues every day until God says it's time to be done with this battle and to be with him forever in holy heaven. James is referencing when you finish the race in faith, meaning you've walked by faith and not by sight. You have remained in faith despite your trials. You have finished in faith. Don't forget this. What is never said is that your faith in this time and place is perfect meaning it's never without slipping or falter. It's not saying that. We are still at war with our flesh, which means the greatest Christian will have moments of doubt. So when James says that he has stood the test, it doesn't mean he did it without falling down or sliding back or experiencing real detours. You might have stopped or taken a detour. But his point is true faith, saving faith. Faith that is steadfast finds its way back. Back to the path of righteousness. Back to the call of God in our life. Back to the church. To growing and helping fulfill the commission God has put in our lives. Back to trusting in God despite what you face in this life. We must not ever forget who empowers our faith. It is God. You are dependent on God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I love this verse. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
looking to Jesus, focused on Jesus, faithful in Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Hear Jesus' words. Let them be a firm rock under your feet this morning. John 10, 27 and 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Hmm. We've made too big of a foe of Satan. Seeing him as on this kind of equal plane with God in this cosmic battle, it's a totally misunderstood way to understand who Satan is. Shameless plug, you've got to start coming to midweek. Uh, we're, we're about to teach on that. Satan, angels, and demons, and sovereignty of God. Um, Matt's been preparing some great lessons for us. It's going to be a really important time in our journey there for midweek coming up. Back to James chapter 5, 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. The incredible story of Job's faith at work despite his trials is one of the most popular stories in Jewish history. And still today, a standing example of one who experienced great suffering and faith in that suffering. Perseverance. Job endured unimaginable suffering. The fierce attacks of Satan on his life. The death of his beloved children. Loss of his lifelong career and wealth. Incredible pain, physical pain in his health. And worst of all, loss of sight of the sense of God's presence along the way. Now, while Job is a high example of steadfast faith, he too struggled at times for which he had to repent. He vocalized his misery. See that in chapter 3. He heard the fallacious counsel of misguided, proclaimed comforters. Chapter 16, he cried out to God in confusion. In chapter 7, challenging him. Despite his struggles, Job persevered. He finished in faith. Consider with me Job's two triumphant statements, which really are a great help to us. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job sees God's sovereignty over all the things he's suffering, even the great suffering he's going through. While God is not culpable for it, he's sovereign over it. Uh, This also is some very important truths that one of our elders, Matt Kirstein, is going to be teaching on the next two weeks at midweek, the sovereignty of God. Many people claim they understand the sovereignty of God, still very misunderstood. Come, join us. Rightly understand how God is sovereign over all things Tuesday, Wednesday night, the next couple weeks. Though he slay me, Job says, I will hope in him. And then Job one twenty one, Jeremy quoted it earlier. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That despite what we're given or despite what's taken, God is worthy of our praise. Both exemplify Job's steadfastness and patience in great suffering, his faith at work. James next says, Behold, We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Two ways we could consider what James is saying here. First, in relationship to Job, let's do that first. The purpose of the Lord in Job's life. What did God do in and through Job? Well, God worked in and through Job's steadfastness and faith to test his faith, and it proved to be genuine. To thwart Satan's attempt to destroy that faith. To strengthen Job's faith and enable him to see God more clearly. He was refined, surely, in this process. 
and to increase Job's blessedness. Even to the point where Job in this life actually received um, great just love of God and grace of God and something that we're not promised in this life, but we can see some of the uh, enumerating ways God's blessing uh, of his loyalty and his faith of his faithful servant played. Um, later in Scripture, it says those who give up the most precious things in this life will, re- will receive a hundredfold in this life and the next. And we hold fast to that. We, we see a taste of it here in Job's life. Job 42, 10 through 17. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all of his brothers and sisters and all whom had known him before and ate bread with him at his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the the latter days of Job more than in his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. And he had also seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemmah. And the name of the second, Keziah. And the name of the third, Karen Habak. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their favor gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man. And full of days. Some will experience this. I got to sit with one of these uh, yesterday. Barbara Garner turned 94 on Friday. Sweet saint, member of our church for a long time. And uh, had a big party last night with her family. Some of you were there. Um, got to sit with her and her family yesterday. And many kids, children, many grandkids, faithful family who know the Lord are walking with Him. Mighty things happening. 94, that's 34 years longer than my mom lived. Uh, You can pray for Barbara. She just was told this week that she has a very rare cancer. And uh, they're going to start radiation on her Wednesday. A special treatment center in Santa Barbara. And as I sat with her and was in her company yesterday, I'm like, you're as happy as I can. I I mean, giddy. Looked great, in great shape. And it was like, God's got me. It all belongs to him, just full of faith. Um, what a sweet thing. For those who don't experience that, um, like my mom, passed at 60, didn't hardly know her grandkids, and get to extend all those years and, of her faith, and I would just contend that the blessing, the hundredfold that is received in eternity is a far better gift than what is still momentary. Job's steadfastness in his faith is a mighty example, as James intends it to be for his listeners and for us still today. It, it encourages those who are suffering great trials to patiently endure, realizing the Lord's purpose is to strengthen them, use them for his purposes, sanctify them, richly bless them both here and in eternity to come. Job could have never known the endless ways his suffering and faith in God would help so many of us for generations to come. Think about that. And we don't know. You don't know how God will use what you're going through, but he will. 
He will not waste any of it. And if you ever get caught up in thinking, I just need to see how some of this is going to be for my good or others' good, sometimes you just don't get to see. But therein lies what faith is. Right? See that with me. Therein lies the working of our faith. For generations, Job's misery has blessed us. Has been a great gift to help us. He, he could have never known the extent of what his misery in his life meant for so many Let us consider God's purpose not only in Job's life, but in all things. His purpose in all things is that His glory would be known and praised. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember in Isaiah 48.11, God says He... He does what He does for His own namesake. He gives His glory to no one. James says, You have seen the purpose of the Lord. Mankind has seen His purpose from the very beginning of our existence. The Bible tells us that the creation sings of His glory. The reason why mankind is created is for His glory. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is ultimately about the glory of God. The salvation of the saints is for the eternal praise of His glorious grace. God's endurance of the unbelieving is for the display of His power and righteous wrath. The second coming of Jesus is about the consummation of the glory of God. The consummation of all things is that God would be Mightily praised. The ultimate purpose of the Lord is the glory of the Lord. James says to his hearers, you've seen this, you know this, don't forget this. This is a way of saying, in the midst of your suffering, as your faith looks to persevere, it's not about you. <laughs> it's ultimately about Him. You belong to Him. This is for Him. For his glory, for his purposes. God is at work in all things, even when you can't see it. We know he is at work for his glory, for his purposes, for his namesake. This should embolden our steadfastness in great suffering and nagging trials. Church, we remain steadfast because God is at work in it all. For eight years, eight plus years, my wonderful, kind, gentle mother withered away in body and mind and died at the young age of 60. Could not recognize her in her latter years. She had nothing to say or understand. She wandered the halls and babbled. She needed everything to be done for her. It was miserable. This was due what we call Alzheimer's. But it was due to something greater than that. Due to the perfect purpose and plan of the Holy God. Our family had to remember in the midst of those darkest days God's purpose in it all. To fight our flesh, to want it to be different for us, for her. 
And to remember she belongs to him. To remember he's at work in ways we can't see or understand. That there will be dividends to this that we cannot fathom. Remember that God, we had to remember that God promised he would not forsake her. God is not a liar. That he would not leave her. That he would work all things in her life for his glory, her good, and others' joy. Maybe you are going through great suffering, injustice, trials, pain. To you who know Jesus as Lord, I say to you what James says here. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. You know it. You know his purpose. And it is not for your best life now. It is not if you can dream it, you can do it. It is not the perfect body. It is not the perfect marriage. It is not the perfect house. It is not the perfect kids. It is the joyful privilege to be a part of the display and the proclamation of His eternal glory. Amen? Finally, let us consider what James says here at the end of verse 11. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The, the word James uses here that we translate compassion is a Greek word that means many-boweled. It's a way of expressing enormous capacity of great compassion. This is true. The Lord is compassionate. Exodus thirty three nineteen. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. Numbers fourteen eighteen. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Second Chronicles 30, verse 9. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children, you will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his, away his face from you. If you return to him. Nehemiah 9.17 They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And did not forsake them. As a father show compassion, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion for those who fear him. Psalm 103, 13. Do you rightly and righteously fear the Lord? Are you walking by faith and not by, by sight? Despite what you're facing, the father shows compassion to his children. This is truly good news. The Lord is also merciful, Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Ezekiel 39, 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Luke 1, 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Romans 9.16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 2 Corinthians 1.3-4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he has to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he, Jesus, might become a merciful and faithful high priest. A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For any of you who have not confessed your sin, trusted your life to Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, repent and believe in Him alone for salvation. For only in Jesus are you able to have your sins truly and fully paid for. If you haven't given your life to Him, then you stand guilty before the Holy God, worthy of His eternal wrath. How I pray you receive His mercy and love. In this, these wonderful truths of God's compassion and mercy, we run to Him in our time of struggle, church. We trust in Him. We depend on Him. This is the charge of the Apostle Peter. Because of God's great mercy, he commands the church to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. And in conclusion, I want to quote Pastor John MacArthur, who said it well, referring to this text that we preach today, that I preach today. He says this, Any trial, suffering, or persecution that Christians face can be patiently endured by anticipating the Lord's coming, recognizing the Lord's judgment, following the example set by the Lord's faithful servants, Understanding the Lord's blessing, realizing the Lord's purpose, and considering the Lord's compassionate, merciful character. Those who do so will be able to say triumphantly with the psalmist, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. We thank you, Lord, that we have much to rejoice in, even in our great trials and suffering. For you are a good God, a compassionate and merciful God. You have done a work that we will forever praise you for in our saving We belong to you, Lord. It all belongs to you that we would be good stewards of it, that we would be faithful in the midst of trials, that we would be dependent on you for that very faith. Growing in your word, believing your promises, walking faithfully with the body of Christ to be sanctified, to be reoriented to these truths, that we would finish the race in faith for your glory and for many more that you intend to save. We rejoice in this. Hear us with loud praise and celebration this morning as we exit this place prepared for the day ahead and the week ahead. Hear us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.